Welcome to Modern Alchemy episode number 45. It is number 45. And this is a really, really exciting episode because this is our first ever spotlight. Yes. Those of you who have been following us for a while know that Bersabu and I are kind of camera hogs and and we just just (laughs) do our own thing usually and share information with you. And we decided we have some good friends that in a lot of different arenas of life mm-hmm. who have some expertise in transmutation. And as a viewer, you know, that's about taking some of the low value and moving it into high value. Mm-hmm. So without getting much into that yet, let me just introduce our guest to you because we're super excited and and honored to have uh, Don and Tom here today. And let me tell you a little bit about who they are. Tom is a number one best-selling author. He has a a book called The Seven Rules of Achievement, Why Smart Goals Might Be Dumb. That's (laughs) that's interesting. We could probably talk about that one, too. And and he also has a book called The Seven-Step Comeback Plan, Mm -hmm. which, man, I could riff on that one with you probably for for hours because I, I really, I resonate with the comeback. He has a lot of things under his belt and and his belt is black he has a black belt <laughs> in in multiple martial arts he's former fox sports net uh tv show host mm-hmm. producer national here national bodybuilding champion if you know anything about bodybuilding which i grew up as a fiend and a fan and again, this is a, a big moment for me to have Tom here because He's I a used fan. I used to watch look at him <laughs> in magazines when he was a kid. When I well, <laughs> no, we're probably I think we're close to art. <laughs> but but I used to look at him in magazines and and he won Mr. America. So yeah. if you know anything about bodybuilding, that's a big thing. He has the AAU Athletic Legends Award. And just recently, I believe both of you have won the Health 2.0 Outstanding Leadership Award, which is really, really exciting. Uh, also, you have a program called Experience the Leap, which maybe you'll, we'll talk about today. And there's been a lot of work in Special Olympics, New York, New York uh, Games for Physically Challenged, oh, which yeah. is really very cool. Yes, and on and on and on. And so... The one thing I've I learned just recently, and I didn't know this, even though I've known Tom for years, is that he at one point had a he calls it a deep relationship with drugs and alcohol. And so he's literally talk about transmutation. He has yeah. literally transmuted his entire life. And that's that's Tom. But just as impressive, there's Dawn. She's a former national fitness model and a competitor, and she's sought after as an epigenetics coach. And I was telling her before we started, I've not heard, I I know about epigenetics, but I've not heard of an epigenetics coach. So we've got to talk about that one, Dawn, at some point. She received the Outstanding Leadership Health Point 2.0 as well. She has a Bachelor's of Science in Kinesiology and from the University of Colorado mm-hmm. she's an EMT what can we not fun. say about these <laughs> uh, she and and the one thing that I think is really interesting in your bio Don is that you said as a fitness competitor yeah that you've experienced firsthand the discipline and focused mm-hmm. the focus needed to accomplish any desired goal 
And so, you know, give us a big welcome today yeah. to Modern hey guys. <laughs> our first spotlight. And hey, guys, glad to have you. Thanks so much for honoring us with your presence. We are thrilled to be with you guys. You know, as you know, we love the two of you and we think very highly of you. And certainly, James, you know, like you, you know, as a bodybuilding fan of mine years back, I happen to be a personal growth development. And even if we want to categorize that, that certainly it goes beyond that. It's a leadership training. It's, a, you know, with the work you've done over the years. I'm a big fan. I saw you first time presenting here in Denver, Colorado, several, several years ago and uh, turned to my partner and said, God dang, this guy is good. He knows his shit. Excuse my expression. I hope a couple of you know bombs here and there is OK. But seriously, big <laughs> fan and bear. Always have been. You know, we were so privileged to have the two of you on our comeback plan summit. And you contributed so much to that program. I can't even tell you. In fact, people, we, we can give people a link or you guys can provide a link later on that they can get a hold of that interview that we did because it was spectacular. So we're pretty much thrilled to be here as well, man. We're excited about it. Yeah. And Bersaba had a lot less hair in that interview. <laughs> She did. She did. But, you know, I got to tell you, since we've had that interview with you guys on the, on the Comeback Strong Summit, you know, we've, we felt such a kingship with both of you that it's it's like uh, you've been part of our inner circle without actually physically being in it. So there, someday we're going to have to all get together yeah. and enjoy some FaceTime. Absolutely. In fact, during that interview, you uh, we had so many people and so many great people on the summit. But but the two of you were the uh, the only story of comeback that literally brought tears to my eyes. That's why I would love people to hear that. And I know you've shared yeah. your story over the last 40 or so episodes of you guys going back and forth, which is exciting and cool because we're, we're, we're moving down that same path, but it, it literally brought tears to my eyes. And it, and it, I won't say it's hard to choke me up, but it takes a specific emotion and feeling. And you, you resonated with that, man. I certainly awesome. wouldn't be want to be the choker. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you choked me out, man. I don't know what kind of martial arts you're playing out there. How do you, how do you, how do you make a, a regular t-shirt look like a muzzle shirt? Well, you're talking well, about shirt, to so, um, you know, let's, let's talk about this. Uh, let's start here and then we'll see where it goes because I've got, I've got to know, I told you it's brand new for me, Tom. That, and you've never shared this yeah. with me before, addiction. Addiction mm. is difficult. So when it comes to transmutation, and, and Bersaba, it's interesting because Bersaba was a smoker for 24 years. Yeah. And she's, and I've- I know I, a thing or two about addiction. <laughs> she does. She does. And so do I now too, because I uh, went through her detox with her for mm -hmm. five years. And, and so I know too- how difficult it is as difficult as it was for me not even close to what it was for her yeah. so talk about how what were you addicted to what were you doing and how would you recommend that our viewers who are, have these kind of addictions go about transmuting that into something as powerful as you have mm -hmm. well i'll tell you what it, you know when we talk about drugs and alcohol certainly those things are physically addictive we know that but what i was really truly addicted to was the lifestyle and the lifestyle that I was living at that time was that of an outlaw biker, literally riding with some of the most notorious outlaw bikers in the country at the time. I think I was a teenager when I got my first Harley Davidson. And uh, I had been challenged early on, you might say. My twin brother and I both had dyslexia, hyperactivity. We were constantly fighting and in trouble and as kids. As early as fourth grade, we were put into the special ed class. 
And as a result of that, you develop a stigma and you build a belief about yourself. You are stupid. You are dumb. You're not good enough. And in the biker world, that's called the one percenter and uh, not necessarily dumb or stupid enough, but outside the norm, well outside societal norms. And so I was a one percenter even in fourth grade being in the special ed class. And so you develop these beliefs about yourself. As you know, you've taught these things, you share these things, you, you have coaching uh, recommendations around this. I wish I had some more of that early on in my, in my youth, because when I got into high school, even though some things had changed because I was participating in bodybuilding, just to get a little bigger and feel a little sense of power and control, and I had some trophies, I had a little bit of success as a teenager, that soon went away. As soon as, and you know this process, as soon as something became totally incongruent with the deepest core beliefs, we call it the core truth that we, we all have covered up by this crusty truth, you know? So this, this, this core belief that I had had at that time that I wasn't good enough. And so when I started winning in bodybuilding, bam, I found a way to sabotage that. And that was to get my first Harley Davidson motorcycle as a junior in high school, rebuilt the thing. It was an old piece of crap, rebuilt it. And of course, in high school, there's no one to ride. <laughs> Nobody's riding Harley Davidson choppers in high school. And I was the only one. So I started riding the streets of Manhattan looking for other guys to ride with and to connect with. And of course, I connected with the wrong crew. Let, let me just interject here so for clarification. So if I hear you correctly, you were lifting and bodybuilding and competing even while still doing drugs and and in a bike gang is that accurate well no i see i in, in high school i started in junior high school working out lifting weights and it made a big difference in terms of my self-esteem how i felt about, about myself and i started to create a shift from being that kid that goes to school in the little, little yellow bus and you know other kids pick on and make fun of to becoming something else. I was starting to transmutate, you might say, even at that time, there was that process that was taking place. It was a different belief system. I call it the do than believe. And as a bodybuilder, teenager, getting some trophies, entering my first contest, and feeling getting in front of an audience like that and feeling, starting to feel like a champion. I had, I had even in high school, we were doing drugs and alcohol, but but took a break. I was like, this is this is what I wanna do. But unfortunately, the transmutation didn't hold. It didn't take. I still had these beliefs about myself that so by the time I got uh, as a junior in high school and I'm on the verge of being a teenage champion bodybuilder, winning the Teenage America and some of the bigger contests at that time. And I already won some big ones. Uh, but again, keep in mind, they were just teenage shows. That change had started to go back again. I started to de-transmorph. I was like, I, OK, I'm going to take a month off. And that month off, I got that Harley. And then I started rebuilding it. And then I started doing drugs and alcohol, riding with a really bad crew. I connected as a teenager. You can imagine, you know, there's a lot of bikers out there in the outlaw community that would love to have a mentee, like a teenage rebel. You know what I mean? It's just like, oh, I'll teach you the ropes, kid. And that's who I had. That's those, those were my mentors at that time. So I dropped out of high school in my senior year for getting into a fight and beating up a, a gym teacher. He was a young stud himself, man. It was a tough one. <laughs> but that was the next five years then. I transformed back into the old beliefs, not good enough, not smart enough, stupid, um, even using the word retard, which I've been called many times back in those days, and became this outlaw biker. That's when the drugs and alcohol really began to take hold because it's more about that lifestyle. And the lifestyle is drugs and alcohol.
whether you're distributing them, or doing them, or partying, or hanging out, or doing something else illegal, it's all part of it. And if you're addicted to the lifestyle, which I was, you're addicted to the drugs and the alcohol as well. And that's really, it was more that emotional connection and that, that addiction than it was the physical to the drugs and alcohol themselves. Yeah, the physical, I don't think was really much of a problem for you, but it was the cultural editors that he had, mm. that he surrounded himself with, that really created that addiction for him. Um, and, and it just basically drove him down that path. Oh yeah. Yeah. So that, and so addiction, as you know, comes in all sorts of different forms. And for me, that's what it was. It was, in fact, I remember one of my first experiences going into Manhattan. My grandparents were very wealthy. My parents had none of that. And, uh, and we were driving in for a holiday into Manhattan from Long Island, which is where I grew up. And I remember it was, I was probably about nine or 10 years old, feeling disenfranchised, feeling disempowered as this special ed student kid and all of a sudden i hear this thunder like thundering coming. i'm like what the heck it's, it's not raining right now i roll down my window and all of a sudden i mean literally it must have been 50 or 60 harley davidson choppers hell's angels and they're on their choppers right and the guy pulled right next to the car i rolled down my window i look over and he's scarface he's got a big helmet on with horns and he looks at me and he goes like this and then boom takes off and to me my interpretation of that was power, connection, um, freedom, creating a tribe of freedom, all the things that I wasn't even experiencing at even just 10 years old. And so I took that model forward with me. And when that first Holly Davidson showed up in my life, it transformed me back to that experience. And that's who I wanted to become. And that was the lifestyle I was addicted to. Wow. So, so what really changed it for you? Uh, because again, there is a physio physiological withdrawal, obviously. Yeah. And I, I don't know what, maybe you're comfortable with sharing. Are we talking, what are we talking about? Uh, cocaine? Uh, Coke. In those days, in, of course, this was, you know, in the early 80s, the late 70s, early 80s in Manhattan and Long Island, cocaine was the big drug of choice. And uh, I had a lot, lots of friends. I never did any dealing, but I had lots of friends that were dealers and always had Coke and always had weed. And of course, the alcohol, the Jack Daniels, the Southern Comfort, those things were daily occurrences. Every single day we were doing either some Coke or some Jack or something. And so we always kept that buzz going, you know? And even when we were riding, I wiped out the bike several times. We got into countless brawls over it. But really, cocaine was it for the most part. But I will say this, I was very fortunate because when the time came, when the trans, when, when that moment of transformation came, that decision, that one moment decision that says, okay, I'm, this is not really who I am. I can change this. The struggle to, against the addiction of the alcohol and the drugs was never a big issue. I was very fortunate in that respect. Um, the issue was no longer having the comrades, was no longer having the connection, was no longer having those guys that had my back and I had their back. I had to create a new tribe. So the addiction to the drugs and stuff, I will say this, I had friends that really struggled, that died, that wound up in jail. And I'm very blessed and very fortunate that it wasn't as big a struggle for me, the physical aspect of that addiction, for sure. So, so here's what I would suggest might be a lesson and bears of a jump in any time because you sure. have experience in this arena more so than I. Um, and you know, what you just said there on the end, Tom, it just go, it reminds me of research from Harvard university by Christakis and Fowler. And they, they prove 
in their research that mm-hmm. your community, mm-hmm. your community drives your impact, your influence and your income. Mm-hmm. And so it sounds <clears throat> based on what you're saying, the community was the driver. I mean, I, it, it's, it blows my mind that you had very little problems physiologically and probably blows your mind too. Yeah. I, I was uh, addicted because she, <laughs> I was addicted to the stuff. To the it, stuff. Yes. <laughs> I'm not cocaine. She didn't, she, but I mean, this jury. And, and it, and it can be, and it, there's no question. I definitely had. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, I, I def- there was definitely some withdrawals and some addiction. And and for the most part, it was just like it was I had I had a desire to like I drive by the bar where all the bikes were parked out. In fact, I had one experience where my twin brother was still involved in that lifestyle yeah. and doing the drugs and the alcohol. Um, and I would drive by the bar and I'd see all the bikes out there. I'd see his bike out there. And it was just like it was and I was like, oh, just a little hit, just a little bump. You know what I mean? It just and and, and so the one time I did go in. It was not what I expected, not what I anticipated, which helped, which helped break that addiction. Even the physical desire to go in and do a bump or do some a couple of shots with some friends, reconnect. You know, I mean, it's just like you can never go back, as they say in many respects. And and so when I did go, when I did, say, you know what, I'm gonna stop in there. I was already in my bodybuilding career. I was already moving forward. It was a couple of years later. I stopped and I overcame the resistance up to that point. And then I stopped him, especially because my brother was in there in the bar. It was called Huff's Tavern. And I walked in and I expected like this sort of like reception. Twigs, how you doing, man? We miss your brother. Instead, it was like, who the freak are you, man? You think you're better than us? You go, oh, you're better than us now. You know, and it's just like, holy crap. I did not expect this, you know? And it was my brother drunk out of his mind, throwing his Bowie knife across the room into the wall. I mean, it was just, and it was just like, okay. That decision was completely solidified by that and other experiences that said, hey, maybe you're missing out on something. Maybe you need to go back or maybe the, it, there was something more there than you thought. And, and I think that, I think what really helped um, that that transition for him was that he was already replacing one addiction yeah, yeah. for almost another, which would have been the bodybuilding. Oh, yeah. And so it's, it's a lot easier to get away from something if you know what you're going towards. Yes. Yeah. So Bear, I mean, for you, you had the, your struggle was then the physical component of withdrawals and the other aspects of the addiction. Oh yeah, mine. You could say it was physical. It was emotional because it came from a lot of um, trauma in my childhood that mm. pushed me towards to doing things like that as an escape or a way to feel alive. So I, I struggled with both, um, the, meaning physical and emotional. It wasn't more of the community part because the it's funny for me, it's, it was kind of the, the other way around. I wanted to be around people that didn't do that. So yeah. Yeah, he didn't know I smoked. No, I we've been together 10 years and she's stopped smoking for five years. So the first five years, I didn't even know she's sneaky that way, you know. I I wasn't proud of it. She was really good at it. I mean, she was proud of that, yes. Glove smoke so that her hands wouldn't smell like cigarettes. But but I think this is an important point for the viewer because because a lot of people um Maybe you're the extreme, Tom, or your story was the extreme. Agreed. And, 
and there's a couple of things that I'm going to, I'm going to ferret out here. Mm -hmm. And, and you tell me both of you, if you agree, first of all, if it, it's, it's pretty well researched and it's a fact that if you hang out with people who drink, there's a greater likelihood you're going to drink. If you hang out with people who are overweight, there's a greater likelihood you're going to be overweight because, and why is that? Because you say, Hey, let's go get a nice big leafy green salad. And they go salad. <laughs> What's, what's 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 that wrong with you yeah what's wrong with you and and so it's it's interesting because i heard doc amon say once that alcohol is the only drug that you have to come up with an excuse to not use and and i thought that was pretty profound because how many times have have you gone out socially yeah. and maybe you as a viewer you you had this experience oh come on have a drink with us just have a drink. Just and one. Just one. What's a big deal? Come on, just have a drink. And oh, okay. Well, it's it, so community. You've made this point. Community is vitally important. Yeah. And and I think it, even though yours was physiological, Beersaba, I think community was, was yeah. Yeah. Important. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know, the people you surround yourself with are are really, really important. Mm -hmm. And you need to pay attention to that. So yeah. would you agree that if you're going to transmute bad habits, be be it alcohol or drugs or or marijuana or any of those things, mm -hmm. which really are deleterious to the body, they're deleterious to the brain, that you've got to take a look at your community. And and that's that's a really big takeaway. That, that's a big bite for a lot of people because then they realize, well, you know, these, these people that I love, that I associate with, that accept me for doing X are no longer going to accept me any longer because I am not part of that any longer. And, and so that, it's, that's going to be a big challenge. Um, and, and why I said before, you're going to have to find another way of going about that, finding a different community before you separate, you know? from your old community it's and, and that's you've got to find uh what works best for you and and have that change be strong enough for you to exit that old life yeah in in, in the experience to leap you mentioned our program is experience to leap and experience to leap we talk about it's it's the desire and obviously we know this the pain the pleasure what are we moving towards moving away from all these different things the the, the objective versus what we don't want and in the experience to leap it's just like hey for me the drugs, the alcohol, the lifestyle, where it was headed, what I was seeing was happening to my friends along the way. And I call them friends. They were more like compadres. Um, Party buddy. They were more like cohorts <laughs> more than anything associates. Um, was not what I wanted any longer. It was just, and, and, and it dawned on me that it wasn't congruent with who I really am and wanted to be ultimately. So I was very fortunate though to have another community to move towards for some. It's a religious or a spiritual community. For me, it was a bodybuilding community, a gym. You know, as a teenager, I was training at a, a hardcore place called Future Man Gym. And it was like, you, you know, I was told as a teenager, don't even go in there, man. Those guys will eat you alive. You know what I mean? And the first time I went in, I threw up on the guy's floor. It was just horrible. As a teenager, I didn't want to even go back. But I did go back. And I was receptive. And, and they were receptive and, and warm. And it's like, it's like I felt like I was part of something else again, a new tribe, a new community. And you're right. These are the people that are lifting weights, eating healthy, enjoying a relatively healthy lifestyle. Because every lifestyle has its quirks, it's right? Yeah, yes, that's right. That's right. <laughs> um, certainly a far cry from the previous 
lifestyle in community. But you're no, there's no question about it. If you're overweight, the vast majority, look at your friends, the vast majority of your friends are going to be overweight. If you're a drinker, the vast majority of your friends are going to be drinkers. If you're broke, they're probably broke as well. So we know that like attracts like in terms of energy, and it facilitates what it is that we're doing, our behavior on a massive scale. And for me, it's just like, could I have been? In fact, I did know guys in the biker community that didn't drink, that didn't do the drugs. It was like, huh, okay, that's pretty cool. They're still influenced by the lifestyle, but they weren't influenced enough to do those vices for the most part. So it can be, it can be up at the individual, but I think the community who you surround yourself with is going to influence big time. You know what I, what I find interesting, because growing up, I wasn't around any of that and I might've been considered the goody two shoes. Oh yeah. Um, I would still go out <laughs> with, you know, the people who partied a lot and drank a lot, but I always had the, the glass apple juice jug full of water. And that was my high on life. So I was like, I was drunk on water, basically. I remember one of the first parties we went to together. I mean, you know, we, we met some 30 years ago and I had moved out from New York here to Colorado. And I remember she had some friends. She had, she had a couple of friends that were like partiers, you know, I mean, really partiers. And she didn't partake, but I didn't know that. And we went and I'm having a beer or two or whatever heck I'm having, you know what I mean? Not overdoing it, of course, at that time. You know, it wasn't complete abstinence. It was, hey, it's all under control. It's not a big deal. Um, and I remember, I'm like, what can I get you? She said, see if they have any milk. I was like, what? I said, we're going to party that hard tonight? <laughs> Are you coating your stomach just in case? Uh -huh. I had no idea. She was like, no, I have no interest. She had no interest in that stuff. You know, I want to digress for a moment because um, there's a second point of this. So the first one is community. Second point, Don, you made this point. And uh, I've often said that all of us are addicts. It just depends on what you're addicted to. So you made the comment, Don, and, and maybe you'd like to expand upon this. He was almost replacing one addiction for another addiction. And I, I believe it or not, I spent a little time in the bodybuilding world in my 20s, and, and it's an addiction. I mean, I was working two hours in the morning, working out two hours in the morning, two hours at night, double split, we called it. And, and, and it's an addiction. It's an obsession. Mm -hmm. And so... Would you say, Don, that you agree with that, number one? Number two, is it important, you think, as for the viewer, if they have an addiction that is deleterious, that is harmful to the body, that is not empowering, they need to find something to do instead? To do instead, yes. And especially when you, you can honor your body. I mean, you you think of, you know, especially with a, like, a lot of these hardcore um, hackers out there that are in that, you know, whether it's the longevity world or the performance world, and they're, they're trying to hack their way into their body. Well, I know so many that have gone way beyond that it becomes, again, deleterious to their body and, and it an becomes addiction. harmful. Um, and so that road itself can lead to uh, addiction. So we've got to, and I don't want to say everything in moderation because that doesn't, you know, a lot of times when there's too much balance, it can create no growth, no experience. You need to have some of those extremes to have an appreciation for what the middle is like. I, I love, we like the word harmony versus balance because harmony is it's, it's dynamic balance is static. Um, but you did that. I mean, you replaced your old habits with oh, new habits. Yeah, I did. And, and now you're out. kind of addicted to running sprints. <laughs> I have and, to. 
We do, though. We develop. We are, and you're right. We're all addicts, James. We are all addicts in one way or another. We're addicts to either the type of foods we eat, the drinks, our families, our community, any number of things, right? And so we, and so we have to keep that in check and make sure we find harmony with whatever it is we're addicted to and that it's positive. That has some positive effect on our mind, our emotions, our physiology. So for me, oh, there's no question about it. And James, you talk about the double split routines in the morning and the night. I mean, it just, it really does become, and I see it now even more so. I will say this, and I think maybe it's just that I don't, I don't have a tremendously addictive personality because even in the bodybuilding world, and you'll remember back in the 80s, it was either the hot skins or the baggy pants and the tank tops. And I had a national championship physique, level physique that I could have wore those things, but God, no, I would never. It was like, that was like the addiction. It's like, I'm a bodybuilder full time. I wear it even when I go out to dinner at a seven star restaurant, I'm wearing my tank top, you know, I mean, that's the full lifestyle. I knew that a lot of guys. It's like, put on a button-up shirt. Come on, man. <laughs> I, I got to tell you a, a funny side story and, and just just uh, humorous as a viewer. Um, when I was bodybuilding, I I'll, there was a guy named Jim, big Italian guy, big, biggest guy in the gym. And he, he comes up to me one day and he goes, hey, you know, they have a, um, a fair out in the parking lot at the mall <laughs> this weekend. I'm like, really? He goes, yeah. He goes, uh let's go and wear tank tops and scare some people. What do you think? <laughs> Absolutely. I had friends like that too. So brilliant. You know? Yes. And for, and, and for me, so I think for me, the goal at the bodybuilding time, you know, was, was, and, uh, was I wanted more, it was more important to me to not intimidate or create fear or be a freak. It was to win people over. I wanted people to realize, hey, you know what? Bodybuilders can be intelligent. They're not just muscle heads. You know what I mean? They can they can put two sentences together. They can be friendly. They can help people out in the gym. I'm so blessed today. We had, uh, I had two athletic clubs, big athletic clubs back in Long Island in the day. And, you know, with social media now, people you haven't seen in years or visited with or barely remember. We had so many members. I can't possibly remember them all. But I still get stories about some young kid, hey, I was only a teenager at the time. And I remember you came up to me and you and you gave me some encouragement. You told me how to do this and do that. And you even gave me your belt that said, Mr. America, you even get, I'm like, I did that? Why would I do that? <laughs> hey, can I have it back? <laughs> hey, you still have it? Let's have it. But it's, it's, it's the winning people over, helping my community as a bodybuilder was very important to me to create more a better public relations a better image for the sport unfortunately it didn't put a dent in it you know and it's, it's still continuing down the tank top path but hey it is what it is man <laughs> yeah well well you're you're still you're still legendary and and yeah, if i'm I, gonna if put I, up some pictures for the viewers if, to I, take if i'm if i'm correct <laughs> i don't know this for sure but if i'm correct you're 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 at least you're close to 60 or or you're in your 60s 64 yeah just turned 64. Yeah. Yeah. I, same age. Why don't I look like this? No. Why don't I look? So, actually, I'm 65. I just turned 65. No Congratulations. Kidding. Yeah. So we were really in that bodybuilding community around that same exact time, man. But I, I, I got to tell you this. And Bear, you know this. James, you look fantastic, man. What I wouldn't do for that hair. Come on. 
<laughs> well, I was thinking when you said you saw me speak uh, years ago, I had a lot less gray hair then. I'm pretty sure about that. In fact, I didn't even have any gray hair until I got married, but that's, that's another subject. Oh, that's a whole nother story. <laughs> a whole nother story. But Don, let's let's talk about to you for a minute because you've achieved a lot of recognition as well. Mm -hmm. And for fitness and health, and I'm really fascinated about this epigenetics coaching. So tell us a little bit about where you started and how you got to where you are. Well, it really started, um, yeah, I've always been interested in, in health and fitness um, from a very young age. Um, so that that has carried my interests into now, but more so uh, when I learned that I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's. And Hashimoto's is basically um, not everybody with hypothyroid gets Hashimoto's and those with Hashimoto's don't necessarily have hypothyroid, but it's antibodies attacking the thyroid tissue. Mm. So for whatever reason, it's an autoimmune uh, condition that for me, it affects the, the thyroid. Um, so going to doctor after doctor, realizing they're, they're not giving me the support and help that I needed, I'm my own best uh, doctor when it comes to that. So I just dug deep into the research. And that's when I came across the, the epigenetics and reading genetics and blood tests mm -hmm. and understanding how the body operates more outside of, of um, you know, muscle and the mechanical side of the body that I was schooled in, in kinesiology, uh, but really understanding the, the mechanisms of how the body works. And I mean, still, that's truly, mm -hmm. as much as we know about the body today, that's still in the infancy. Mm -hmm. uh, just learning about, you know, the, the microbiome and, you know, the microbiome that's in the brain and uh, just all this interesting stuff that, that's going on. We're still in the infancy of understanding what we're capable of, mm -hmm. at least in research that we're capable of. I think on a day-to-day, -day, we, we're exhibiting a lot of that power and the performance, but not really understanding that on the, the clinical scientific side. Mm -hmm. So that's, uh, you know, really my journey has brought it into the epigenetic realm um, of more so of, of these mechanical systems and, and how they work and what that means for the genes to express or not to express and, and how to manipulate that, how to influence those genes to perform for longevity, for performance in, in cognitive ability or out on the track and field. And, and for, so just for me too, because it's always been like, okay, what is the definition? And I think for a lot of listeners, it's like, well, what exactly is epigenetics? Well, you've got, you've got your genes. We are all familiar. That's the blueprint of our body. And you can kind of relate that if, if we were to uh, bring it down to a, a more of a, like a car or a computer, the, the genes would be the, the hardware. And they're basically inert without their environment. So that they don't, they don't run, the hardware doesn't run without the software. And the software would be those tags that are put on to the, the DNA and the rest of the cells within the body to become active. So it's all of a response to the environment. We were talking about the cultural editors that are, uh, we are involved with, whether it's addiction or, or society, that sort of thing. It's all of that environment. The thoughts that we think are even part of that. 
So if you're constantly looking in the mirror saying you're so stupid and you could, you're so fat or, or whatever negative thing that you're thinking of um, has an impact on your body. And that is basically telling the program, the DNA, how to respond. So some of the research I've read in epigenetics, and it's certainly not as extensive as yours, obviously, is that epigenetics tells us that about 50% of who we are, what we are, is genetic. Well, the good news is, is that the other 50% is environmental and, and habits, continuous habits. Is that, is that your understanding as well? And is that what you've... Yep. Yeah, they're finding that it's it's actually a much greater percentage that you're in control of, that it could be anywhere between 85 to 90 percent that is of your control. Again, the genes are the hardware and it's your your you have the influence over the genes to dictate with whether it's not necessarily just one nutrient, because it's never just one gene either that causes disease or malaise. So it is the combination of it all. And it's not just how much you run or how much you sleep, but is also in combination with a proper diet um, that that's getting all of that um, programmed into the system. Yeah. I mean, as we know, obviously, right. I mean, and there's nothing more talked about than exercise when it comes to uh, these uh, diseases that we have influence over. People say, well, I've got this gene as I had the gene for cancer or for diabetes, or I've got the gene for, for Alzheimer's. Well, a big one is, is like the BRCA gene. I, I, a couple of years ago, um, uh, Angelina Jolie, she realized that she had the, the, the BRCA gene for, for breast cancer. Um, and so I don't know if she actually went through the full mastectomy uh, that was so talked about within the, the news, but she had a great opportunity not to have that gene expressed because a lot of us have a lot of negative genes already within the system, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to express. It doesn't mean just because you have that variant and there are no mutations to genes. There are just variants to different types of genes that you don't know and, and or you have a greater control to provide the the environment for those genes not to express and that's where exercise and nutrition and i mean james you know this is, uh, you teach this i mean this is on a quantum level how we think what we believe if we believe we got oh, that's it it's the end of the world i've got this gene i've just been diagnosed that's a, you know you become that that yeah. becomes your reality and i think that's one of the benefits of doing dna testing in advance early on it's just like okay not after i've got the disease but before we could say okay I can choose to believe this. I've got this particular gene. I've got this variant, or I can choose to deactivate it with everything that I do in my environment, my behavior, my thoughts, my nutrition, all these different things. And that's really the epigenetic component, which is all those things that we can do to influence on or off in terms of whether those genes might be positive or negative. Yeah. So I want to continue this conversation and you're going to have to forgive me because we're going to have to pause here. We're going to have to take a break. I have to run to the restroom. Uh, I'm sure this guy does too. Thank you. My <laughs> bladder is the biggest factor in uh, how long I can go with anything. Liquid. <laughs> I love it. All right. I'm going to go to then Dawn. I'm sorry. Perfect. You got it. You got it. Right. This meeting is being recorded. We're back. And so Dawn, if I were going to come to you as an epigenetic coach, and, and I, we've talked a lot about 
what epigenetics is. Hopefully our viewer has, has at least a cursory understanding of that. What kinds of things would you be working with me on? Well, first, I, I guess with with any industry, with any coach should know really what the goal is first, um, because you wouldn't want to change, I should say, let's say improve something that is not within the wheelhouse of the person. If that's not their focus, you, you wouldn't want to um, manipulate that in any way. So it, it really depends upon the, the goal of the person first, um, getting symptoms from them. Um, and then look at really what they want to optimize. And so for some people that might just be sleep that they, they just can't sleep and they, they're, they've, they say they try this and try that. Well, you know, it could be a nutritional component. It could be simply something from their pillow. So it really just depends upon um, ultimately starting with their, their goals and what means the most to them. Do you, do you take a lot of supplements, Don? I, I am my own guinea pig for sure. And this is my second one. Yeah. Um, as far as supplements, not any one nutrient per se um, is going to move the needle a whole lot. Um, so I'm definitely a whole foods based uh, person. Um, I'll, you've got to start there first. Um, and that, that's got to making sure that you're getting the right amount of protein, uh, all the macros, looking at the the um the micronutrients as well because that would be the next thing that's the next lever to move when it comes to nutrition so working with supplements very often it just comes down to well how how much uh you know certain polyphenol could we put in there and and those are smaller levels to work at so really when it comes to whole food based supplements that's where I would go to the glandulars and the the organ meats. You know what's interesting about that too is that as you, as I hear you talk about it, it's you know a lot of times you know individuals and a lot of listeners probably will say, hey, you know what, I need to get on this supplement or that supplement or this, but not pay close attention to their overall whole diet and how they're eating, when they're eating, the structure of it. Are they getting enough fiber? Are they getting enough protein? Are the macros first and then the micros along the way? And creating those little micro changes along the way, diet-wise, is, is really the first place to start, as you said. And it's so interesting because there's so much emphasis around, and Dawn mentioned this earlier, the, the, the body hacking. It's just like, well, you know what? I'm getting a little bit older. I'm going to, I'm going to use the hyperbaric chamber. Or I'm going to, or I'm going to use red light therapy, or I'm going to do cold plunges. And those are great and can definitely move the needle a little bit. But if you're not paying attention to how much you're moving and it doesn't necessarily have to be exercise formal, it could be more like our ancestors or just moving the body, getting, getting out there, guarding, whatever it might be, and then cleaning up and paying attention to how you're eating, how much water you're drinking then those other things can start to move the needle a little bit. Instead of trying to hack, let's get in there and do the basics. First. Exercise and nutrition are some of the greatest, literally drugs that you can provide for not only mind body performance, uh, but also longevity. And there's really a gray area between the two because really you can't do one without the other. Uh, you, you can't necessarily just say, well, this supplement's only for longevity and this one's only for performance. They're really a combination of the both. They, yeah, they definitely inter interact with each other. Uh, do you believe that in today's world with the depleted soils and the things that and the toxins and the chemicals that are being put into the foods that we can get 
enough nutrients and macro micronutrients without supplementation? Boy, that's that's such a big subject. And with is as far away, you know, what, what did they say that uh, it's 2000 miles for the average broccoli to make it to your table from farm to table. Um, and so you, you consider the amount of nutrient loss during those food miles um, that, you know, that, and then how long it sits in the, the the grocery store before you actually take it to your house and how long it sits in the refrigerator. So there could be a loss of 50% of nutrient before you actually cook it and, and ingest it. And that's, and that's following a loss of the nutrients that are not being put back into the soils these days. So on top of that, I think probably the answer to that question is it'd be difficult. It would be beneficial to eat whole foods, but it'd be difficult, wouldn't it, just to get everything you need? It would. And and, and really then it, it, it's, you know, the body's complex and what goes into the body is also complex too, because it really comes back to not only um, the environment of the soil, as you had mentioned, the toxins then that the, the food is in, because often, you know, a lot of these pesticides when they're sprayed onto, uh, let's say, a vegetable, they are losing nutrients because that that vegetable doesn't have to fight the elements. And it's when a, a vegetable is more stressed that it creates more polyphenols and has to boost its own defense mechanism that could be hampering the nutritional quality as well. So you not only just getting rid of the toxins of the pesticides, but not putting that plant under stress is reducing the amount of nutrient that you actually be getting from mm. the plant. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. kind of how they create. Not and and not that uh, we're drinkers, and we've already talked about not doing that. But I, what comes to mind is when I used to drink wine occasionally. The finest wine is the grape that has enough stress on it that it. Mm doesn't die oh. it, it's not over it's underwatered on purpose <laughs> just so there's enough stress and it makes the finest wine and i think Fair. it's a great metaphor for what you're that's right that's right yeah and, and that's where you're going to get the, the the greatest amount of nutrient and the, you know the the complexity of things if we can buy local um then i would look at that if that farmer is doing organic or not um, but really buying local, really from anything, not just your food source, but just supporting your community in that way is also going to impact you. When you buy local, whether that be fruit, um, vegetables, or meat, you're also impacting your epigenome um, because you're getting the stresses and the information from your community that you're then ingesting and then communicating with yourselves. So that's also important because the broccoli that you're eating 2000 miles away is that environment, but it's not your current environment. So that. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you, but that, that Bishop and I, we have a farmer's market that comes to our neighborhood uh, every two weeks and we get local honey, which has all the local things in yeah. it. And Bishop was just saying, we used to buy our produce there and now we Kind of gotten used I don't to, know if it's organic to whole foods, uh, but that whole foods is coming traveling a long ways too. Yeah, and, and so you know, it, it is, it is. I will say it is. Go back to the supplement. <laughs> it's like we have these little like 
they're not shot glasses. They're sort of like measuring glasses, the little, you know, stainless steel cups. Wait, you know? when, when, when you go to like, uh, like your, your greasy spoon and you've got your burger and your fries and they give you that little metal cup for the, the ketchup and the mustard. Yeah. Yeah. That's so what that's it. About. And, and it's just like, it's full with supplements in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening. And man, do I get in trouble? If there's one of those cups left over, it's just like, you didn't do your supplements last night. Why do you need to? <laughs> It's like, whoa, I, 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 I can't take it. <laughs> There's a roller coaster over here. I'm, oh, man. We take a ton of supplements. And, and you know, we don't we don't live extra, extravagant lives. We're, we're pretty – we stay home a lot, and, and we, like, we like kind of a simple life. And yet, when you look at our biggest expenditures, it's, it's food and supplements. Mm. Our largest expenditures We're living large. are our food and supplements. You know, every time I go out the front door, there's a package. And it's like, oh, what exciting thing has arrived? And it's just like, uh, another uh, thing of supplements. I shake the package. It's like freaking cow something or other. <laughs> it's all good, though, man. It's all good. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to go back to a question that I prepared in advance. And, and Don, you kind of answered it, uh, but I'm going to to push on you a little bit here um, because you said uh, that exercise and nutrition go hand in hand. You can't do one without the other. Well, here, here's what we know, according to the most recent research. And I just looked this up to, to verify it yesterday. 31% of people in America are overweight and that low. No, I think it's a little higher than that. <laughs> certainly looks like it. We'll be but anyways, let's, uh, 42% overweight, not obese. Yeah, 42% are obese. That's yeah. five people. So I'm going to guess, and, and, and the current research that I've heard as well is that about 50, we're, we're new into the year, about 50% of the people want to lose some weight. So if you had to choose between nutrition or exercise, and you can only pick one, which one would it be and why? Ooh, that's provocative. Well... It's interesting that you should say that because I look as at movement and exercise as a nutrient. So I would say nutrition. <laughs> and that covers both bases. Yeah. I'm let you nail her down here. <laughs> Maybe, you know. Uh, so go ahead. I'm I'm playing. Well, and, and let me expand upon that just a little bit and why movement is really so important because you, you've got, um, you know, very often you, you've got, you know, when you describe your, your cardiovascular system, you think your heart, your lungs, veins, the, the, the whole package as far as how that goes. But it's really the muscles that are really important part of that piece. Because if you're sitting here, like we've been sitting here, you know, better part of, uh, of an hour. And other than uh, brief movements with our arms and within our face, we're really not moving a whole lot. That means the heart has to do a lot of the pumping. When you're you know, doing bigger movements throughout the day, um, it, maybe every 20 minutes, say, just getting up, walking downstairs, walking back up the stairs, you're providing the nutrients that you have ingested have assimilated through the body, able to get through the rest of the system without your heart having to work so much. Mm. And you hear a lot of these cardiologists say, well, you know, if you just get on that treadmill more, 
but then the rest of the time that patient is sitting around, it's putting extra stress on the heart to get the heart rate up to um, the, the full heart rate capacity while it's on the treadmill, say, and making more work for the heart, which in turn is, is not giving the, the body really what it needs. Oh, wow. That's let me, let me, let me, can I add something to this? Because it's just, again, I've got, uh, a slightly different perspective. And again, it is around movement. I'm a formal exercise guy, as you, you've been. And um, former mean, formal meaning being in the gym. That's right. I like being in the gym. We exercise outside as well. But I really, it's, the gym has become that addiction. And it's just like, it's, it's a lifelong one, right? But we don't have to. The exercise can easily be outside. It could be just movement. It could be gardening. It's really about movement and getting your body through its full range of motion on a daily basis. And that helps slow the aging process. It helps us perform better. So regular, I, I would I would go with exercise in that respect for another reason as well. Because if we exercise or move our bodies on a regular basis and we begin to feel that stimulation and we feel better, we're breathing a little bit better, we can, it's palpable very quickly for the most part. If you're relatively sedentary most of the time and you start to move, you start to do formal or not formal exercise, you feel it relatively quickly. It'll take a while before it becomes visually, you know, affected, but you feel it. And that itself creates that, what I talked about earlier, James, is the, is the do then believe model. If I start to feel better, I believe I can feel even better than that. I can be more than that. And that has an impact on our nutritional approach. I might be less apt to go to Burger King or to KFC. I might opt in for something just a little healthier because I'm starting to feel better. You know what? <sighs> Let me start taking a little bit more control of that. And I've seen that happen several times. So I would vote for exercise as number one. I'm with you, you know, Bearsaba likes to run sprints and, and we go to the gym three days a week, which yeah. has changed a lot. And I want to, I want to ask you about that, Tom, because mm -hmm. it, I'm not doing double splits anymore and I'm not doing <laughs> good, good. Days on, one day off or six days, whatever. Um, now what we do, and I'll tell you what we do, and we've we've done it for the last two years, maybe. Mm -hmm. yeah, is we do days. three days a week, full body, full body, mm -hmm. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, mm -hmm. and then on Saturday I go in because one of these days I want to have arms like you, and I'm just not I'm just not a quitter, you know. I'm just not a quitter, and and deltoids, and I, <laughs> so I go out on Saturdays and I do shoulders and arms um, on Saturdays, and and Bearsaba runs. But how has your routine? We're, we're similar age. I'm a little bit ahead of you. How has your routine changed over the years? It's been more intense. I'm going to ask, uh, answer that for him because he's now training with me. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's not easy. I got to be honest. She's going 14 years younger than me, and I got to keep up with that. And it's not always easy. There are some times when we get to the gym, and it's just like, I say so, and we've got we've got a, a routine that we like to do, and we we undulate between that and different routines throughout the year just to keep the body interested. And I hate to use that cliche, keep the body using, man. But it's also training guessing. with the seasons. It, it is. We that. train with the seasons mm -hmm. quite a bit. But well, it, yeah. it has changed. And when Dawn talks about intensity, um, that's primarily because Dawn was never around when I was training for the Mr. Olympia contest. That was intensity. I mean, there, was, there were times when I would be on the floor after a workout. I would generally have to take a 20-minute meditation, relax break right after workout, just laying in some dark corner of the gym with a towel over my face just to try and recover enough to get in the car and drive home. These were that intense, you know? So the intensity level has dropped because of several reasons. One, 
recovery is much slower now. As you age, your recovery is, is it just slows down. You don't have the same, quite the same energy you used to have, and recovery is definitely a big, a bigger process. Um, the other thing I do more is I actually I think I think we might be training more frequently, but with less intensity and less duration. So the duration has come down too. I used to train, it would be about an hour and a half or so. And then maybe the split routine where it's in the morning, an hour and a half, another 45 minutes to an hour in the evening, like you were doing. Um, that has that has changed. So the frequency, again, because of the recovery, had to have had to change a little bit. So we we tr we train five days a week and we mix it up. We do three days of a specific routine, and then we go in and we do either some sprints or some kind of cardiovascular, or we just go in and stretch. And then on Saturday, that fifth day, let's just say, we go in, we do what you do. We do the whole body and we, and we make it fast. We do the full super setting. We want to get in and out of there. We try and keep it into about 40 minutes or so. Um, but yeah, the recovery has slowed down a little bit. That definitely takes more time. So the frequency has increased. The duration has, minim has, has decreased as has the intensity a level. It has to decrease a bit. There can't be as many forced reps. Going to failure is a once in a while experience now. Well, you know, if you were, I mean, we're not training for competition and things would be different had we would be. So yeah. as far as the intensity level, I would say we're hitting anywhere between 75 and 85% of the, the capacity for that day. Yeah, yeah. So it, it has definitely changed a little bit. And the other thing, too, that's changed, and you, James, I'm sure you can relate to this, too, being around the same age or so, I, if I squat at all, it's bodyweight squats, it's dumbbell squats, it's never heavy on the back squats, big bent over rows, all those big deadlift movements and stuff, those are, those are non-existent in the routine now. There's replacements for them, but those big movements that threaten the muscle, in fact, what we wanted to do back in those days was shock and threaten the central nervous system to create an endocrine response, hormones, growth hormone, testosterone. Today, if we do that, it's too big a shock. It's too big a risk to the body. And the injury, you know, once you get a little bit older, it's if you hurt your back deadlifting or squatting or something like that, it sets you back. It's not worth it. It's not a week or so. It's now a couple of months you've got issues, man. So we, we modify all that stuff now. So, so I... Yeah, it's. It, I think I hear you saying you don't do a lot of compound movements anymore. And for the viewer, if you don't know what that means, it's 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 they it works major muscle groups, a variety of major muscle groups. Right. So there's there's not a lot of there's no back squatting, uh, no, deadlifting. no deadlifting, bench press. I, bench press we still do. It's all modified too. And, and we still do some deadlifts, but it's on the lighter side. Yeah, we'll do it with dumbbells or keep mm -hmm. it light. Just really kind of feel it's really more about I, I will say this is there was a stage in my bodybuilding career. And I'm sure every bodybuilder can relate to this is where we it, it, it was no longer just about lifting heavy weights and digging in and almost killing yourself, but rather connecting with the body. And my bodybuilding career improved substantially. I wouldn't have made it to the pro level and compete in the Olympia had I not gone through this mental physical connection shift, which was, which we now call body rapport is to know, like, and trust your body. At one point I was just the athlete who was telling my body to shut up and do it all the time. Just do it. Even though it was telling me it was communicating with me on a cellular level, on an unconscious level that's just like, Hey, that's too much. Or you need a break or you need to take a rest. 
something was going on and I wasn't listening. So once I started listening and communicating on a deeper level, I mean, literally every contraction, it wasn't about how many reps I could do. It was how deep can I contract that muscle during any given one rep? So a 10 rep set wasn't 10 rep set. It was one set of 10 repetitions done with maximum quality and maximum depth of contraction. That made all the difference in the world. And that's still what we apply today. And that makes a little difference. So we don't have to deadlift heavy. We don't have to squat heavy. Granted, I'm 20 or 30 pounds lighter you know, with muscle, but that's desirable for me. I don't want to be 200 pounds at 64 years old. It's way too much work for the heart and lungs and 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 too intimidating. I mean, last a couple of weeks ago, I wore a tank top to some party. I said, Dawn, I said, let's put on some tank tops and scare the hell out of these people. <laughs> and I'm sure last time we were invited to any party. <laughs> So, oh, man, goodness. this is good. We could talk forever. I know. Uh, let me let me just um, maybe do you, do you have anything to, that you're just I I wanted I wanted that? to know the uh, the diet piece. So, what does your diet consist of in a in a days or weeks or yeah, however Sherry. Well, for me, I work best with uh, a protein shake. And when I say protein, yes, that has uh, grass-fed whey in it, but then a myriad of other things, including glycine, um, tyrosine, uh, ginger, uh, green cinnamon. tea, extra there's, oil. There's, yeah. there's a lot that goes the into it. So it's, the, it's, the amount of turmeric in these shakes is like... <laughs> there's quite a bit that goes into that. Yeah. Um, then we always have uh, like an, an egg meal midday with lots of vegetables um, and then finish that up uh, a few times a week with fish and or chicken beef uh, for a light meal in the evening, again, with lots of vegetables. And then we'll do some nuts in between. Our vice is chocolate covered almonds. We try and keep dark it, chocolate, you know, dark chocolate. And uh, but that's our vice. We'll grab, we'll grab, you know, four or five of those. And that's like, oh, man. I will admit that once you have that kind of little vice and you and you and you treat yourself to a few, it it, it escalates. It's it is like a drug in many respects. It's like okay, we started with okay, we're going to treat ourselves to four of these dark chocolate covered almonds, and now it's at six. Suddenly it's seven. I had ten yesterday. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> it's the peanut butter. What are your thoughts on peanut butter? butter. I'm a peanut butter guy too. Oh, your peanut God. butter? Right off the spoon. I can't. Oh yeah. He's like, I got to cut back on the peanut butter, you know. I'm, and so I'm only going <laughs> one spoon. And then last, night, just last night, I came around the corner, and and the <laughs> the closet door is open, and there she yeah. is. I know. I love that. Like pre workout, I'll do a banana or an apple, and I always think it's like it's got, it's, but it's it's like it's like it, it, the, the bites of the apples is big, and each one has this giant smear of peanut butter. <laughs> <laughs> It's really jar of peanut butter uh, accompanied by a little fiber, you know, but for the most part, we keep it uh, wheat and and grain free for the most part. You know, I'll do a little bit of grains here and there, but no one doesn't do really any of that. Lots of vegetables, almost with every single meal, some vegetable source, lean protein, keeping it close to paleo style, really, you know, 
Uh, I mean, that's sort of our approach for the most part. And a lot of things that I think people uh, neglect with their food, especially when they hear, well, I'm going to be eating chicken and vegetables. Uh, how plain is that? But you can really make that very delicious by a variety of different herbs. And that's going to help your epigenome so much more through the DNA methylation process, mm. uh, just the methylation process in itself, not just the DNA, um, by little bioactives not just from the taste buds, but then how that's uh, interacting for cofactors throughout the system. Yeah, it's funny because doing, you know, every morning, you know, we'll have our shake early, go train. I'll work with a couple of clients. We'll come back and we have eggs and we usually have a cup of coffee with that. So a variety of eggs, we'll usually do it with tons of vegetables, right? I mean, spinach and kale and uh, asparagus. I mean, cooked in and we'll scramble it up. Every now and again, I sneak in some cheese. She doesn't know it, but I'm doing it anyway. And uh, <laughs> but every once in a while, we'll also cook fried, just to you know, out of varieties. I'll do some fried, some fried eggs, and they're just plain fried eggs. She made the fried eggs today because I was in the process of something. And my God, the seasoning! I was like, "What the hell is this?" It was so good. It was like a five-star restaurant fried egg. Oh, and I was nice. like, "Oh, it's some new seasoning she just bought." I was like, "Wow, this is great, man! Just simple fried egg." So Tom, how many eggs yeah, at a time? Used to be, I mean, you know, you remember what it was like. Eggs were the staple, man. I, I, I mean, used, I used to eat a dozen a day. Yeah, you know? dozen a day. That was this. Like, that was like it. Talk no. about eating it now. How how many do you normally eat? In one uh, occasionally, day? if I'm really hungry and I know I've had a great training session or something, I'll do four. That's it. And but generally, it's three. So we'll cook up five eggs. Don't do two. I do three, and that's about it for right now. And of course, I have no problem if it's more. We're doing hard-boiled eggs occasionally too. Yeah. Why? What are you thinking? Well, we she, do two, and we heard that two a day is like a safe bet. She, the, she's a. She's, I don't know if it's true or she's not. She's like Who a knows? Gestapo, you know. On the <laughs> stuff, and I'm like, I could, I could easily eat three eggs. I used to eat a dozen, you know. Well, yeah, but, yeah. Okay. And Dawn will talk more about this, but um, there's been a whole shift in terms of saturated fat, cholesterol terms of their demonization over the years and have now it's come completely almost full circle that we need more. If you haven't read the, and I'm sure you have, but, but if you haven't read the grain brain or the wheat belly diet, it, it talks about eliminating most of the grains, um, but really adding back in or less demonizing of uh, saturated fats that we need it. So eggs are right at the top of that list because they're so, I mean, you can, you could really almost exist on eggs alone. Well, I Not could. So much. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, we have a variety um, of how you cook the eggs because having the whites, whites should always be cooked, but the yellow yolk, um, keeping that more on the liquid side, you're going to be getting more choline so that you're, you're going to be helping your brain. You're going to be helping muscle contraction. So, and, and a lot of people are very often choline deficient. So getting a couple of fried eggs in uh, a couple of times a week is really beneficial for you. Runny. I hate them runny. <laughs> yeah, she, she likes them. I, I prefer them. Yeah. A little less runny, but a little over, over easy. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. They're running, then you've got to have bread to soak it up. And, and I try to stay away from the bread. So, you know, I know, I know. I'll try, I do. I stay away from the bread. Uh, um, I have a confession though. I do, and again, what we, we do, we do gluten free, but I do my, if I'm not doing the shake in the morning, and sometimes when I have to dash out or it's a pre workout, 
I'm I'm addicted the peanut butter thing. I'm addicted to peanut butter jelly and banana sandwiches. I got to be honest. That's like my serious vice. Outside those chocolate almonds, the you know just a peanut butter, banana, a jelly. Of course, it's low sugar. Everything's organic, but still, man, you toast that up, and there's a treat right there. There's dessert. Well, talk talk about fats. My my vice is macadamia nuts. And oh, really good for you. I know they are great. Yeah. And and so yeah, we we do quite a few macadamia nuts. Yeah, I love those. I'm a pistachio nut guy. Uh, yeah, me too. I, those are good too. Those are pistachios good. are cool because it slows you down. I mean, if you don't get them deshelled already, right? I mean, it's just like it's a little work. You get them deshelled already? I don't. I don't like to work to eat. You know, <laughs> I don't, I, I'm not a fan of lobster. You have to work. Do all this work. And you get a little piece of meat, you know. It's just it's a tremendous amount. Of I was work. just gonna say, you know, a pistachio addict when you when you see their thumbs, oh, you yeah. know, if they're worn out from opening up those shells. Yeah, that so is true. We could talk for. I know. Did you sure. get? Did you, do you have any more questions for I, John about diet? I do. Just one last one. So what? <laughs> beef. Okay. Is it? Is it? It's what for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> Um, is it good to eat? Because all this new uh, fads come out, you know, to eat fat, eat more fat is good for you. So get a cut that's got more fat in it in beef. Would that be good for you or is that not? Is it better to eat more of a lean uh, cut? Well, you would like uh, there. You can look at that from a couple of different perspectives and all of them do lean to eating red meat is good for you. Um, and not necessarily just the lean cuts, because you're not going to go to those lean cuts. They're dry, they're tough, they're fibrous, they're tough to eat. Um, so go for those fattier cuts. Uh, be beneficial. You just want to make sure that you're not, yeah, see, you're just not searing those meats um, to get a lot of those carcinogens. So you just, you know, at lower temperatures cook them at. Yeah, when the fats um, burn, that's not good. Right. So, but make sure, get them from... Um, grass-fed, grass-finished sources because you're going to have higher uh, omega-3 to omega-6. And omega-6 isn't bad. It's just that we get too much of it within our diet. It's more of the pro-inflammatory uh, of the um, fats. But you, could, you again, you have to have that harmony. I'll use your word, James. <laughs> You've got to have the harmony between the, the omega-3, which is anti-inflammatory, and the omega-6, which we get too much in our diet. So that's why they, they've kind of demonized omega-6, but we still need that. We still need inflammation for our bodies to operate. It's just when it becomes rampant. Yeah. So going back to the red meat, if you buy grass-fed, grass-finished, they're not being fed on... Uh, grains, particularly corn, which increases that omega-6. Um, plus then they're, they're getting some of the bugs that they're getting in the grass. Um, hopefully it, it is a, a nice pasture that they're in and they're eating it. And same thing with eggs too. If the chickens are happy, if the, the cows are happy, generally the meat will be happy and you'll be ingesting that as well. They used to say happy wife, happy life. Now it's happy Cow happy life. <laughs> well, we could talk forever. Yes. Oh yeah. Any more nutritional questions? I, I'm good. I'm You're good. good. Uh, yeah, I'll save it I, for next. I just time. had to say, too many omega sixes. You know how you spell that? Peanut butter. Anyway, um, mm, this is true. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, 
so let's let's kind of bring this. We've talked a lot about about physiology, which we should. You guys are the experts. Yeah. We live in turbulent times. That's a fact. A lot of people are dealing with a, with major difficulties, and there's a lot of disruption in the world. Mm. Alchemy, as we've discussed, is about taking something that's difficult or something of low value and transmuting it into something of high value. What advice, and I'd like to hear from, we'd love to hear from both of you. What mm-hmm. advice would you have for our viewers to practice alchemy in these difficult times and how specifically can they do that? Well, I, if I can take this one sure, for the moment, is that in these difficult times, it's really where you put your focus because in the turbulence, um, there can be opportunity. And that could be just somebody next door that could use your assistance and your guidance, maybe just a love or a hug, a smile for crying out loud. Um, I really, that is very impactful. The Not to be political, but that's where we lost two years wearing masks. Um, we weren't able to see the smiles. Um, we could see the kindness, hopefully, in their eyes, but even eyes were more diverted when we couldn't see their faces. Mm-hmm. Um, so that could offer a, a lot of opportunity to reach out and, you know, become more prosperous in a way. Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. That again, the focus is such a key right now. If we want mm-hmm. to, create a transmission in our own lives instead of being pulled into the struggle and the challenge, which we're going to face. We're going to feel it. It's going to be, it's going to impact our lives one way or the other, but how you address it, how you look at it, how you face it, those opportunities to give, I, I, you know, not to say anything about myself, but the other day it's freezing cold here in Denver, Colorado right now. And the other day I saw a woman walking down the street, barefoot, homeless, barefoot, barefoot, freezing. It was cold. I didn't even want to be out for 10 seconds. I had to stop and I gave her my shoes. She resisted because they do, but I had to stop and, and do something. And so when we feel like we have the ability to contribute rather than be a victim and being pulled into this conflict and the struggle that we're all involved in for the most part, but rather give back and find an opportunity. It's funny, I have a very dear friend, I can't say who, who just literally uh, got their, their uh, I don't know if they call it a badge or a pin or whatever it is for getting through hell week which is the final week of Navy SEAL training, a very dear friend of mine, young man. And, um, and one of the things I, that I shared with him and that he is that, is, that is part of his DNA, you might say, and that I heard from another Navy SEAL, uh, from the, the Navy SEAL 6 team who talked about getting through that training. He said all the difficulties he's had since then, being in Afghanistan and, and in war and battle and, and all this, that that was the toughest thing he'd ever had to experience. And he says, this, the way you get through it, the guys that survive it are not the ones that are the macho tattooed. I'm going to get through. I'm going to kick everybody else's butt. I'm going to show them how it's done. It's the guys who care about the guy next to him. If you're helping the man next to you, it takes the focus off your own struggle and your own challenges. And as we know, in general, for the most part, we will do more for others than we will for ourselves. We watched a great movie about that the other night called Arctic. And the, 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 the guy who had been stranded in the Arctic had many opportunities to find a way to escape, but he was comfortable in the environment that he had created, waiting for rescue. I could survive. I could wait it out until he had to save someone else. And then he was able to find the strength and the will to make the journey needed. And for a Navy SEAL and for all of us living at home today, facing these struggles, if we find a way to support others and share with others and help lift them, I think that's the thing that can help transform us ultimately. 
Well, that's that's a great note right there. And and you guys have certainly been that for us today. Yeah. And I know you're you're doing that for every single person that you touch. Uh, what's the best way for our viewers to get in touch with you and and to reach out and connect with you? Well, along the path that we were talking about with the, the epigenetics, you could reach out to us um, and learn more about yourself by going through vitalityscore.com. And there you'll be able to go through your own little personal journey uh, and experience some things that maybe you didn't even know about yourself. That's one point of contact. There's also highachieversuniversity.com. And of course, Dawn's site where she gives out so much great information and you have an opportunity to work with her directly and go through that vitality score right from there, which is called influentialdna.com, influentialdna.com. And of course, find us on social media, Tom yeah. Terwilliger on Facebook, Instagram, it's all right there. Yeah, and we'll we'll put all that information in the co- yeah I'll in put the it copy all below. Yeah. Um, listen, guys, thank you so much yeah. for your time and your energy and and just who you are mm-hmm. as human beings. And as a viewer, hopefully this has been a value to you. If it hasn't oh. been, then you must be asleep. Um, <laughs> really, so wake up! It's time to wake up. We really appreciate your time and and your attention and. Next week, we'll be back with you, and we're getting into a whole new topic on environment, the alchemy of environment. So stay tuned. Lots of love. Bye. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Appreciate you. Honored. 